Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the, from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm the managing partner of the Strategic Valuation and Advisory Services Practice for Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. The SVIS practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and intellectual property. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called A Group That Doesn't Suck or Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck. So please join that if you, as well if you'd like to engage. If you like this podcast, sub please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Um, today is going to be a, a different kind of show. Uh, I almost always have a guest on the show but the 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 timeliness and and nature of the topic um, really don't permit that in a way that is practical or frankly that I'm I'm personally comfortable with, and that is should I stop doing business with Russia and Belarus? Um, all of you know that war has broken out between Ukraine and Russia, roughly or almost exactly a week ago. Maybe it is exactly a week ago starting with the invasion of Russian military forces into Ukraine and the subsequent bombardment and siege of several major population centers and military installations. Um, the consensus among Western analysts is that Ukraine has put up a very spirited defense and has likely surprised Russia with the tenacity and efficacy of its defense, inflicting much greater losses than, than, uh, they had anticipated. I, and I think I agree with that. I think that, that that war would have been, I think the Russians, the Russian high command, at least, or military leaders thought that the war would be over by now, maybe no war even whatsoever. But I'm not a military strategist. I'm not even very good at risks, risks so I'm not qualified to discuss that. But I am qualified to discuss this general topic because we, we do now have a choice. Um, and, and of course, unprecedented economic and political sanctions have been levied on Russia and its partner in this, uh, the Republic of Belarus, which is a Republic that is wedged in between the Western, um, frontier of Russia and the Eastern border of Poland. <clears throat> and, um, uh, th those sanctions are ongoing and they may, they may yet be tightening. There may be more things that are to come. Um, 
And it does pose a challenge for American businesses and, and forget it for the moment about forget for the moment about the, the, the political ramifications. Um, well, you can't forget about them. Can you, because this is the most, this is the, the highest that our tensions have been with Russia or the Soviet union since the Cuban missile crisis. And uh, I don't think that they're there yet. I don't think we're at that level yet, but we are closing that gap fairly rapidly, uh, especially with, uh, with President Putin announcing that he was raising the alertness of uh, the, the so-called nuclear deterrent of the Russian Federation. Now, by way of background, um, you know, why am I talking about this? Why do I feel like I'm qualified to talk about this? Well, uh, you know, I, um, as it turns out, uh, I spent the early part of my career in Russia. And in fact, my first visit to the, was over there was to the Soviet Union in 1987. Um, I had an unusually rare, just an unusual and very rare opportunity to actually study Russian in a public high school. It turns out that, that the French teacher there was also a Russian emigre who lived in the, what at that time was a very big Russian Jewish community in uh, Brookline, uh, Massachusetts, and then commuted to our school up in, in Topsfield, Massachusetts. And so I had the unique opportunity in the late eighties to actually start learning Russian in high school. And as time went on, of course, um, the Berlin wall fell, the Soviet union went away and uh, it was a fascinating time to be in college is really frankly, a joyous time to be in college because every day, uh, you know, you'd wake up and for me anyway, I'd, I'd try to get the Boston Globe or if I were in school, I'd get the, the latest, the, the news copy, the New York Times. This is before really news on the internet was a thing. And, and read about what was the latest thing going on? Which country was throwing off communism um, successfully? And um, I even remember um, the first like real big time rock concert I went to was to see Billy Joel on Long Island uh, with my girlfriend at that time. Uh, on the Stormfront tour in 1990, I think it was 1990. And maybe it was 1980, it was December 1989, I guess. And that was the time, and, and Billy Joel comes out and he says, how about Romania? And we hadn't, you know, we hadn't heard about what had happened to Romania yet. Uh, again, we didn't have smartphones or anything like, we didn't have cell phones, unless you're like a really big deal. You didn't even have a car phone back then. So we had to wait until the concert was over. That's when we learned that uh, Nicolae Ceausescu, who was the, uh, the dictator of Romania, had been overthrown and very much like Mussolini had been basically captured on the, on the, on the lamb and captured by his own people and, and shot. And um, of course, history unfolded that, that the Eastern European and Russian sphere decided that communism was untenable. Um, they threw off their chains and uh, with varying degrees of success became liberalized uh, democracies with some brand of what we consider as reasonably recognizable capitalism. Um, and, and I remember that time and as you know, the, the notion that there'd be an independent Ukraine was completely foreign. The notion of being independent Lithuania, Latvia, all that stuff was completely foreign. Um, but it was against that backdrop that I went, that I was in college. So I, I did study Russian. It was, I didn't have a major at the time, but I was very fortunate in my, my college days to get a fantastic education. I, I basically said to the Russian department head there, said, look, 
Uh, I'm not interested in literature. I want to prepare. I want to be prepared to go over there and actually talk to people and do impactful things. And so to their immense credit, they, they, they did an independent study whose sole mission was to uh, help me develop uh, a real world facility for the language that later enabled me to be a student at the Mendeleev Institute in uh, Moscow for a summer in 1992, um, living in Minsk, Belarus, working on a defense conversion and um, um, uh, privatization project, economic transformation project from 1993 to 1995, and then doing something very similar in Ukraine from 95 to 97. And uh, also while I was doing that, I had a chance to learn the Ukrainian language both in country as well as while I was at a, a, was a graduate student at Georgetown. Um, to this day, I still have, or have, have had up until a week ago, I still do have Russian speaking clients, have many Russian speaking friends. I have Ukrainian clients, Ukrainian speaking clients and friends. And at a very high level, this is very sad for me because it is a, uh, it's, it's almost like watching a devastating family dispute. And, and not being able to do anything to do anything about it. Um, but, but, but here we are. Um, and, and, you know, I, I can, I can communicate in any, either of those languages. I consider myself bilingual with English and Russian. My Ukrainian is not nearly as good, but it's, it's good enough to understand what's going on on the ground there without, without filtration through um, the American press or frankly, through a translator. And so that's a, that's a big preamble to that. If you want a perspective on what's happening over there from a business perspective, I think I'm reasonably qualified. There are people who are more qualified, but the challenge is that many of them who are more qualified still have associates, friends, family in Russia, in Belarus that might be targeted for retribution, retaliation, I didn't even ask them to do this program on the off chance that they would say yes, because I don't want to put them, I don't, I don't want to even put the possibility in front of them of putting their friends and family uh, and their other commercial interests in danger. So while I'll be the first to admit that there's better out there, um, for purposes of this show, uh, for better or worse, I'm the best you got. <laughs> um, but I'll do my best to make this to make this adequate, and, and I hope that that giving my background gives you some perspective on on not just my knowledge, but if you feel like there are inherent biases, and and there are. Like I'm the first guy to say, um, you know, it's it's rare in international relations that there's a clear wrong and a clear right. You rarely have that sense of moral clarity. There is here. Um, there is no there is no right side. There is no there is no moral justification for what Russia is doing. Um, could Ukraine have maybe made done some, made some different decisions to make? Maybe they could have, I'm not sure. Um, on the other hand, what's going on, I think simply proves every day why Ukraine thought it was important to be part of NATO. Russia is proving that every single day. And I'm not even sure they realize that. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to preface this here with a very important distinction that there is a a massive difference between the Russian government and the Russian people and the same goes for Belarus my my sense is uh 
uh, and and we've seen this. We've seen that many people have risked their lives and livelihoods to take to the streets and and protest in Russia against that government where they do not have the right to free assembly. They do not practically have the right to freedom of speech. They're taking enormous personal risk and there's really unlimited power of the state to exact retribution. Um, and I, I believe that they're the tip of the iceberg. I think for every one person you see that is, that is protesting, I think there are 10 or 20 sympathizers. Uh, I, I believe that. Um, uh, I, I just, but, but, but the powers of expression in Russia are, are very limited and the levers by which power is changed would be changed. are very limited, which is why Russia has historically had very messy powers of transition that date all the way back to Ivan the terrible. Um, but that having been said, the government is not unimportant. Uh, the government is directing the military action. The government has tremendous power over daily life and commercial life in Russia and Belarus. And, um, you know, there's some, there's some hard decisions to be made and I can appreciate that they're, they're hard to be made beyond the sanctions. Um, Apple and Microsoft have said they're going to stop selling products. They will stop updating their software. That's something I wish they had done at the very start. I wish that that had been an economic sanction, but they're late to the party, but they're at the party. And I, I think that that is an underrated, um, that's an underrated sanction. Um, that, that, that's going to be very noticeable throughout all strata of society. Um, General Motors is no longer going to sell cars or spare parts there. Uh, other Western automakers may well be following suit. I just, I don't know. I, I haven't seen all of that. And Boeing is also going to stop providing spare parts and uh, repair services. And I suspect Airbus will very soon do the same, which is going to largely ground the civilian air fleet of Russia and Belarus, particularly Russia. Belarus still mostly uses um, Russian vintage, Russian built aircraft from Ilyushin Antonov, that sort of thing. So now all that's happening, but most of my, most of the listeners here aren't with Boeing. They're not with Coca-Cola, McDonald's. Um, they're not with the big four. They're, they're small businesses just like mine that are, are trying to make, make a go of things. And in the case of your business, you may very well be dependent, highly dependent upon uh, resources from Russia and Belarus in some way. And um, there are real decisions that, that, that have to be made. And I hope that I can help you at least lay out what those decisions are. So let, let's start with some very basic questions, then move to the more nuanced. The first question is, is it legal for you to do business with Russia? And, and that's something that you need to speak to an attorney with if it's not extremely obvious. Um, if you're a small business, you cannot afford to fight charges of breaking economic sanctions. And, and, and frankly, there's, there's so much ill will towards Russia at this point nationwide. Maybe it's one of the few things our country's unified on right now um, that you don't even want your company to be perceived as trying to break those, break those sanctions. So that's number one. Can, can you even legally do it? If, and if you can't, 
there's really nothing else to discuss. You can stop listening to the podcast, go off and do something else and, and make contingency plans if you haven't already. The second is, is your business with Russia existential? And, and that's a, that starts to get difficult. Um, there are some materials that are very hard to get from any place other than Russia, such as palladium and platinum, which are rare earth elements that are very important in electronics, uh, automobiles, because they're at the heart of, of catalytic converters and, and other um, delicate but widely used devices in our society. There are other sources of them. Canada has some. South Africa has some. There are other sources, but Russia has been a big source of them. It helps when you're the largest country in the world by landmass and you occupy 13 time zones. You're you're going to you're going to have some rare earth metals. Um, yeah, many companies have been looking to Russia and Belarus for software engineering for years and have have received great results in doing so. Um, can you switch? Can you easily switch? And I'm, you know, I wouldn't necessarily switch to Ukraine right now because I don't know if they're going to have power. I don't know if they're going to have internet. You know, if you want to support Ukraine, I don't think that doing business with them is the way to do it. There are a number of charities out there that are supporting Ukraine in various forms, not the least of which is the Red Cross. Um, you know, that, that would be, that would be a way to go. Don't, don't, I don't know that I would necessarily counsel doing it as, as a, a show of solidarity, there are more efficient ways to do that. Uh, but the question you have to ask is, is, is it existential? And then, you know, if, and if it isn't, if there are alternatives available, you probably want to take a hard look at them for the reasons that I discussed earlier. And, and also because um, it's, it's now just more challenging to do business with, with Russia you know, the first question is how do you pay them, right? We've, we've effectively severed the banking system, um, the Russian banking system from the global banking system. So even if somebody in Russia wants to do work for you, how are you going to pay them, right? It, it may consist of you taking a flight to Helsinki, a car to the Russian border and meeting somebody there to hand a bag of cash to. I've seen that. I saw that done in, in the early days post-Soviet Union, when I, was in, when I was in Belarus in particular, because the banking system was neither sophisticated nor trustworthy, it was not unusual. It was unusual, but it was not unheard of to, to encounter people or, or see people that were traveling with tens of thousands of dollars in a bag so that they could settle payments between Belarus or Russia and uh, a Western a Western country. Um, back in the old days, there was a lot of barter trade going on. Uh, Pepsi beat Russia, beat Coke to the Russia market because they figured out a way to basically trade Pepsi for vodka. And I think maybe Matryoshka dolls. I don't recall exactly, but that's how they got their. That's how they were able to convert their their product into a into a business in the cash there. Um, you can't even do that anymore, ironically, because most of the most of the vodka brands, the Russian sounding vodka brands are actually distilled in the United States or in the West. Like Smirnoff, I think, is a Swiss brand of vodka now. So all these people that are swearing off Russian vodka. I mean, that's great. I think other I think, frankly, other countries make better vodka than the Russians do. 
Um, but uh, it really, it probably actually is not making any difference one way or the other in terms of the Russian economy, because most of that's probably never hitting the Russian economy, unless it's like a royalty fee or something. Um, you know, this, the next question is, how reliable are communication links going to be? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's a drop-dead certainty that the Belarusian KGB, yes, they kept that name, or the FSB, the, the, um, the, the Russian version of the FBI, or the Federal Secure, Security Bureau, is going to be eavesdropping and intercepting private communications, anything they can. They're, they're, looking, to, they're looking to rat out potential traders in their minds. They're looking to find security vulnerabilities and exploit them. They're looking for any place that may be a source of hard currency and take it. And we'll, we'll get to that, that consideration in a moment. But uh, you know, at any point, those communication links could be cut off either through an act of cyber, cyber warfare from the Ukrainians uh, or an outright policy decision that cuts communication links or um, due to a Russian desire to uh, either implement surveillance or to cut those communications off unilaterally. Um, the next consideration is, do the Russians still want to do business with you? Um, I'm sure there are some Russians somewhere that think that invading Ukraine is a great idea, that they buy into the Putin narrative, that Ukraine never should have been an independent country in the first place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and as such, um, they're going to be unhappy with the fact that um, we are supporting a country and sending them weapons that are inflicting massive casualties on the Russian armed forces and inflicting, already inflicting damage on vehicles that will take them multiple years to rebuild. Um, and, and so you have to kind of read the room. The Russians, the Belarusians, if they're patriotic in quotes in that way, you have to take their temperature. They may or may not want to do business with you right now. Um, if, if you have, if you, and if you're doing business with Ukrainians at the same time, you have Ukrainians on your staff, you know, th those are going to be things that you're going to have to confront and, and, and work out. As you might imagine, Ukrainians have a, uh, have a very dim sense of humor about this entire thing. And, and the Ukrainian diaspora in North America, as I've experienced it and has a reputation for being faithful to, to their home country. Um, and being very suspicious of Russian domination in any event. So you need to be sympathetic. You need to be sympathetic to those sensibilities. Um, and then now that big tech is pulling out, how do you keep your data secure? Um, you know, the weekly updates that, that prevent or plug vulnerabilities and firewalls and so forth, those are going away. Um, and, and any vulnerabilities that are found will start to be exploited and they may be exploited by Ukrainian cyber attackers. They may be exploited by other cyber criminals. Um, uh, how are you going to ensure security of data? Um, I'm not sure what the alternative is to do that. That may be something that you want to talk to your, uh, your IT services provider about, 
Um, I don't think that's going to be an easy question to answer. I think you have to consider physical risk to personnel. Um, I think it, the longer this goes on, the longer, the larger the probability of widespread social instability, whatever that means. Um, it could be protests. It, it could be riots. Um, it could be things that we can't even, we can't even think of. Um, and do you want your people in the middle of that? Um, do they want to be in the middle of that? Um, and so you need to, you need to think about that. Um, is it, is it smart to have people in harm's way? Is it worth it? Can you get them to stay? <laughs> um, and, and beyond that, I think there's a very real risk of persecution by the government. At some point, the Russians are going to be fed up with the fact that they can't easily reach us except with a nuclear weapon. Um, I don't think there's any way they're going to conventionally confront NATO after seeing what they've seen over the last week. It'd be suicide. Um, but, I, but I would not put it past the Belarusian and Russian governments to start identifying Western personnel as spies, as agent provocateurs, as potential saboteurs, as, as something undesirable to the Russian government and, and make their lives uncomfortable, possibly jail them. And, uh, you know, you have, you have, and again, just as with the local population, um, there may not be, there may not be much recourse. Basically, if you know, once, once the Russians get a hold of you, you're there as long as they want you there. And right now, you know, our State Department is going to have zero influence on on getting somebody released. Um, again, there may be there may be squads of 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 sort of white right wing thugs that are looking for foreign scapegoats that could put people in danger. Um, so, you know, we need to need to think about that. And alongside of that, we need to think very carefully about the risk of expropriation. Um, it's highly likely that Russia is going to default on external debt. Um, I, I'd be very surprised that they didn't. You know, we're, we're basically cutting off their ability to repay debt. Why would they make a special effort to repay it? Uh, can they make their relations with us any worse by not paying their debt? I don't think that they can. They can in other ways, but not in that particular way. Um, as, as I had predicted, their currency has gone from being semi-convertible to non-convertible again. They already have controls on uh, sending currency, hard currency, dollars, euros, et cetera, outside the country. Um, and if, if these sanctions go on long enough and relations get bad enough, the conversation inside of Russia is going to be had, well, you know, what if we just seize the GM factory? What if we just seize the McDonald's and hand it off to one of the oligarchs to run uh, or the Coca-Cola plant or Boeing repair facilities, whatever it is that that's over there. What if we just seize it? What if we just seize real estate? Um, what are, what is a Western company going to do? And the answer is most likely nothing. If that's happening, 
your personnel are just trying to get out with their lives. That's one of those deals. You know, you have a suitcase packed. Hopefully you have an extraction plan at this point and, and, and off you go. But that's a, that's a very real, that's a real, a very real concern. And I think there's, there's barely any recourse at this point. That's realistic. Um, to the extent that you've had insurance on your assets or people over there, you know, your insurance may no longer apply. You need to check your riders. Um, I certainly think it'd be hard to renew an insurance policy there. I don't even know as, you know, this is just not on the actuarial table. How, how would you, how would you measure, manage and price risk? So if insurance is important to the business that you're doing there, I, th I think you, um, I think that needs to be factored on whether or not it's feasible to continue doing business with Russia and Belarus. And then finally, a very fundamental question going from the more finesse questions to of a more brute force question. Can the Russians actually buy anything at this point? Um, the ruble has collapsed. Um, stock market prices on the shadow markets are collapsing. Um, it's and and the ability of the country to generate income is basically limited to oil. And I suspect within another week or so, you're going to see a generalized embargo on Russian oil and gas exports. Um, it's not clear what their capacity is going to be to generate the economic energy whereby the Russians can be a customer, even if you overcome all of this. How are the Russians going to pay for anything that isn't simply designed to keep themselves alive and in the case of the Russian government, keep their military going? And so I, I think that's a very hard conversation you have to, or hard assessment that you have to make. Hope, the hope is that the, that the Russian government will change in some fashion, will change their policy or change the people who make the policy so that um, these sanctions will be, will be quickly lifted. But I don't think that they will. I think, I think, unfortunately, we have seen this is truly a second Cold War with the Russians. Um, I think that most of these sanctions are, are here to stay and um, for, for the foreseeable future. And I think, I think it's important to think about the long game. I'd be very surprised if this is a 90-day or 180-day issue um, because the damage they're doing to Ukraine in some cases is permanent in terms of lives, lives lost, but is, is going to take require decades to fully repair. And that's even if they just stop today. So, you know, think, think long-term and uh, I'm not sure what the Russians ability to buy things will be except for the oligarchs. I'm sure in spite of the sanctions have billions of dollars socked away someplace if nothing else in gold they're not dumb they knew these sanctions were coming they've taken measures um but that's okay i i don't think the oligarch sanctions are going to be what moves the needle here anyway um so that's it Th that's what i've got in terms of laying out the decision on whether or not you should continue to do business with russia and ukraine you know, first of all, can you, and really just a lot of it boils down to whether or not you can, can you do so legally? Can you do so? Do you have to? 
Is it, is it realistically feasible to do so? And then what risks in terms of the physical safety of your personnel and assets are you taking by continuing that practice? And um, I, I'm, I'm sorry if you find yourself in the situation of having to make that choice. Uh, I'm certainly very saddened about the conflict in general because I see uh, I see places that contributed to the early part of my life that are, are at war and, and are being destroyed um, in real time in front of my eyes. And uh, I'd, I'd very much, I'd very much like it to stop, but they don't care what I think. Um, so that's it. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up for today's program. And I'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your, with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also, check out my new LinkedIn group called Unblakable's Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 